Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. This week with Vic Reeves. You're listening to Charlie Higson and Friends here on Scala Radio. I'm Charlie Higson and my friend this week is Vic Reeves, who I will sometimes be calling Jim, which yeah. I hope doesn't become confusing. Um, You'd like that where you, you've put there's a lot of emphasis on I'm uh, Charlie when I'm Charlie Higson, like it wasn't me. Yeah, well, that's because some people might know they're hearing this voice and they're thinking Charlie Higson and friends. I don't know who Charlie Higson is. Is that him talking? So I'm making it clear that the person talking, I, I yeah. am. I am the Charlie Higson. I, no, I am. Poster you might occasionally hear. <laughs> yes. Well, there is an American um, cartoonist called Charlie Higson. And sometimes yeah. our tweets get uh, muddled up. There was a, um, I was, uh, there's um, Sylvester Stallone's son has, made a film called Vic Reeves about a kind of failed um, comic, I think. But he's used the same um, typeface that I've always used as well, which is really weird, isn't it? it so do you think it is entirely based on you? Probably, yeah. I think you <laughs> Well, we, we must look out for it. Yeah. Uh, more confusing. I mean, I just want to very quickly ask, because because you've been, you've been known by... Three, at least three names that I know of, which is Jim, Chin, and Vic. Yeah. Uh, but presumably you think of yourself as Jim and um, your well, wife Nancy calls you Jim, I know. Well, I, no one calls me Vic Reeves unless they don't know me. But uh, it, Does anyone still call you Chin? No. That was a brief moment. It was only a brief thing. Well, Alan always used to uh, refer to you as that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I only ask because I... I'm Charlie Higson, but I also have been known by three different names. When oh. I was growing up, I was called Murray, and my family still call me Murray. Because that's your first name, isn't it? No, it's not. I was christened Charles Murray Higson. My father was an accountant. He had four sons, and he named them in alphabetical order. Andrew, Barney, Charles, Daniel. I was number three, so I was Charles. But I think uh, he didn't really like the name. <laughs> He just used it because it fitted the alphabetical sequence. So I was always called Murray, which was my middle name. Uh, and as I say, my family still call me Murray. Because when I... I became a punk rocker in the 1970s, um, I went to the university and I made up a nickname before I went. And mm. I told everyone I was called Switch. And the amazing thing is, because, you know, I'd always wanted a nickname and I couldn't wait for someone to give it to me. And I turned up and when people said, who are you? I'd say, I'm, I'm called Switch expecting them to say you're not really though are you but they said oh, okay so people i know at uni knew at university and met at university still call me switch was that because like, like switchblade or a, a, a light switch well that's the thing it had many different meanings you see you, you couldn't pin me down as one thing you're easily turned on and <laughs> you could turn me off and on again and then my band as a joke when they found out that my real first name was Charles, they started calling me Charlie. Um, and that then stuck. So now everyone calls me. That's, so that's when you started. All the, me, all the men in our family are all first name James. So right. my dad, his middle name was Neil. And so he was called Neil. My middle name was Roderick. So I was called Rod quite often. That's right. Yes, I remember reading in your, your autobiography, Me Moi. Yeah, or memoir, very uh, clever title there, Jim. Uh, yeah, yeah, that you. So, d does anyone still call you Rod then? Yeah, my mother, ah. my ninety-three-year-old mother. But uh, 
so yeah, it's just to different, differentiate all the men in the family because yeah. we have the same name. Um, and then, but at school, I was always called James because that's how it appeared. So, mm. I, I thought, no, but I, you know, I, th- I think it's quite good to to kind of switch around and play with the identity and stuff because I mean, a lot of people you sort of you see oh. them as a child and you can see the old man in them and and they're sort of stuck being one thing all their lives. Yeah, you do one job, but I, I think we've both managed to do lots of different things in our lives uh, and to be called different names while we were doing that. Well, I think it's different. If I'm do the only time I'm over Vic Reeves is when I'm with Bob, really, is mm-hmm. Bob Reeves and Mortimer, because the rest of the time, if I do any dramas, films or anything like that, I am just Jim Moyer. I always am. Um, yeah. I've been for a long time. So dependent on whether... Bob and I do anything. Oh, we're going to be, yeah, we're doing a film that we wrote years and years ago. That's apparently happening this year. Um, well, that would, uh, well, great. Um, if you need anyone to play a slightly posh person, yeah. uh, I am free. <laughs> you know someone. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, so Jim, Vic, Rod, yeah. Chin yeah. is my uh, guest here on um, Charlie Higgs and Friends on Scala Radio. And... Let's hear another of your musical choices, Jim. This is Satie's Nossiem number three. Jim. Yeah. Why that music? Um, well, I was going to pick Chouajim um, Pedi, but I thought that's a bit too obvious. And it's the only thing I can play on a piano, by the way, as well, apart from a small selection of umpa-pa music. <laughs> I, I, really, I, I, don't, I like him, I like the music, and I like his mad life more than anything. You know? I don't really know anything about his mad I've always assumed from his music, which is very sort of laid back. It, well, it, it appears on many chill-out oh, albums. I've always thought he was a laid-back, chilled-out guy, but evidently not. It gets quite frenetic, a lot of it. You know, is it, you know, you're probably talking about that and and Twajan and which is laid back. And he did his collaboration with uh, Debussy, who orchestrated it. But he, a lot of the stuff is really frenetic and mad. Right. And also, he had a quite a mad life. He had he lived in a flat in Paris, and he had two grand pianos, one on top of the other. The one at the bottom he played, and the one on the top he put all his bills in which he never paid. <laughs> and also he lived on a diet, which is entirely white food. So he'd eat rice, meringue, eggs, you know, anything that was white. Wednesday down. Because he thought it was um, purifying. God. He was bonkers. Are you drawn to people who, who, who perhaps have an unconventional way of uh, connecting to the world, <laughs> should well, we say? Yeah, yeah, probably. But I mean, I was initially drawn to Eric Satie because... I liked the music. And then to find out that he was bonkers as a bone. <laughs> um, do you have a piano, Charlie? I do have a piano. I was persuaded to buy a slightly small upright for the children yeah. when they were young. And actually, one of my boys uh, did play. He plays it quite a lot. Is it a very small piano? No, it's just sort of slightly miniaturised. And I think it might have a one key fewer than, than a grand, as it were. I, I like the sound of this. You know, you sitting on a stool playing a small... <laughs> Little tiny piano. Uh, it's, now I'm, it's, I'm finding this image very enticing. Well, I'll, I, I, won't, I won't destroy it. I'll let you keep that image. You're listening to Scala Radio with me, Charlie Higgson, my guest this week for the final show in the series, Vic Reeves, who has picked the next track from the great Dmitry Shostakovich. 
You're listening to Charlie Hickson and Friends here on Scala Radio. I'm Charlie Hickson and my friend this week is Vic Reeves, also known as Jim Moyer. So you don't get confused if you hear me start to call him Jim. Uh, and that was uh, one of Jim's choices, which was uh, from Shostakovich's Eighth Symphony. Is that, uh, uh, well, it's obviously a favourite piece of music of yours, Jim. Yeah, I, I like a lot of Shostakovich. I listen, what, those days when I was going to Lewisham Library to get out, hire the records out, um, I got really into Shostakovich. And this one, that one we've just heard, I think it's really like, it's about as close as you can get to heavy metal. it's it's like um uh sort of classical version of black sabbath i think that it's got a good uh, it's got a meaty riff yeah well i mean that is something we've we've talked about on this show that you know something like the um the romeo and juliet that we played earlier the 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 prokofiev that is um that's like a heavy metal guitar riff as well yeah it's but shostakovich was uh uh, it's that big, powerful, and uh, filled with pomp, um, images of Russian revolutions. And... Yeah, and, that, you know, there is something mightily impressive about um, a full orchestra in full in full flow and, and you know, going to a classical concert it, and being being in amongst it is, is quite an experience. It is. It's like, it's, you know, so much different. Going to see a, a live orchestra... It's worlds apart from listening to a record on a speaker. Yeah, because the whole space of it, you've got this huge number of people spread out and that music coming all around you, whereas rather than, you know, most people just listening on one little speaker at home. I haven't been for a long time, but I used to go on my own to classical concerts. In fact, quite a lot of my friends used to go on their own as well. And I don't know why that is. I think maybe rather than... Yeah, it's because it's personal pleasure, maybe. Yeah, and you do need to to let go and just have your personal connection to that music and shut everything else out. Yeah. And it's not like going to a rock concert where you'd be chatting to your mates and saying, oh, I don't much like this one and going to the bar. You yeah. do, you, you sit there and you connect directly with your music. So you're not really going to gain much by having someone sitting next to you. No, that's what it is, isn't it? It's like going to see a film. I'm quite happy to go and see a movie on my own because... Mm. Uh, I'm not going there to, as you said, I'm not going to go and stand at the bar and have a chat about things with anyone. (laughs) (laughs) How antisocial we are. (laughs) This piece is a very well-known piece. It is Nimrod from Elgar's Enigma Variations. That was Nimrod from Elgar's Variations, and it is the choice of my guest on Charlie Higson and Friends, Vic Reeves. And why that piece of music then, Jim? I love the tune. You know, that's... uh, And why not? (laughs) You know, that is enough justification to play any piece of music. And it's got those fabulous big swell halfway through that just makes you... I mean, I don't care whether it's pompous and, um, uh, you know salutes great britain and all that stuff that people you know just i don't get that feeling from it i just think it's a really good tune (laughs) 
I think this piece was written by Elgar for his friend, his best friend. Uh, I believe there's some kind of link there saying... Um, well, I think all the different variations are supposed to... Each one is supposed to be about a different friend, isn't it? And there's some great mystery behind it all, which uh, I've never solved. Yeah, there's nothing nationalistic or anything about it at all. But I played this for my father-in-law and said this was by Elgar and it was he wrote it for his best friend. And my um, father-in-law got a tear in his eye because he thought I was playing it for him, which I was, I suppose. I didn't let him down anyway. I said, <laughs> you're my best friend. I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> But it's, I think, I just think it's a fantastic. It's almost like a piece of pop music, I think. Yeah, I suppose, and I'm sure, know. I'm sure somebody somewhere probably has done, put some words to it and done it as a pop song, and ruined it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what when people start applying lyrics to things that shouldn't have lyrics. It's yeah, it's always doomed to failure. Like the thing tune from EastEnders. <laughs> They've ruined oh, no. a great piece of music. <laughs> they ruined that marvellous piece of music with some tame lyrics. Do you remember the first sort of time you thought, right, I'm going to try and do comedy in your first gig, your first, what, what that was? Yeah, I did it at the um, uh, 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 what's it, Winston's Bar in Deptford. And a friend of mine had a comedy night on there. And he said, I'm going to pack it in. I said, well, what do you do? Because, oh, actually, this is interesting. Pre previous to this... Um, it was in the 80s, everyone was running nightclubs. And in this bar, I thought I'm going to do a classical night. And it was on a Sunday night, I got a quartet in. Um, I, play, I DJ'd playing classical music <laughs> and realised it was a huge failure <laughs> within seconds. And then I, also, I had to pay the quartet. And then, <laughs> there was about five people in. So... <laughs> Yeah, so I gave up that idea. And then this friend of mine had a comedy club. And I, I, said, I said, well, I'll take it over. What do you do? He said, you book three comics and a compare. And then you take the money off the door and you pay them and you keep what's left. And I said, well, what about if I do it all myself? <laughs> this is without ever having done a gig. <laughs> yeah, without ever seeing any comedy. <laughs> I, um, I, I made it up. And it was, um, I'd do things like, I don't know if you remember ever seeing this, but the tiny little Beatles, which... Yeah, were, yeah, yeah. I had the Beatles, which were tiny little one-inch plastic figures on a on a plate with a covered with a dishcloth. <laughs> and then my friend Johnny Urban, who was in charge of the sounds, because it was very sound-based, That's yeah. if there was anything. That, and he would just turn the treble up when I unleashed... <laughs> Cloth. Well, I've seen you do that act many times. I didn't realise that was your your first ever. Yeah, that was what I thought a comic would do. I also had a card <laughs> box and I painted Sylvester Stallone on it and did something <laughs> from within that, as far as I remember. But I did it, um, and um, that was the first time I'd done any comedy. And uh, Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze was there, and he brought his friend Jules Holland down to have a look. And then by the end of the second week, I'd, I'd been booked to go on the Tube TV <laughs> show, the Tube. I remember seeing that. You did the, the Celebrity yeah. Squares type thing on the Tube, yeah. So I went from being, having no interest in, com I suppose I always had, maybe I had an interest in comedy or showing off in front of my friends being stupid. But so immediately went on TV and uh, that's how quick it happened. I think it happened within three weeks of me announcing that I was a comedian. <laughs> 
I mean, that's pretty extraordinary. But I mean, it's pretty extraordinary that you that you managed to come up with a whole night's entertainment. Yeah. So you were comparing, you were performing, you were taking the money on the door. Yeah, I'd do, yeah, I'd do it all. And uh, <laughs> I would, you know, ha- intersperse it with things, you know, inventing Vic Reeves. I thought I'm going to have to come up with a name for this character that I'm playing. So I, I invented Vic Reeves. Do you remember where the name came from, those two components? Well, people have said, the press have, have tried to find some reason. Yeah, you know, it was Jim Reeves and uh, Victor... Uh, Victor Sylvester, Victor... Victor but that's, I just made it up, you know. I just came off the top of my head. And you've been stuck with it ever since. Well, not, it's kind of, yeah, it's disappearing a bit now. That was Vaughan Williams' Norfolk Rhapsody, as chosen by my guest here on Charlie Higson and Friends, my final guest in the series, Vic Reeves. And we were talking earlier, um, Vic, about Norfolk and Benjamin Britten and the North Sea. uh, And that's another piece of music from that area. It is, yeah. But do you know what this piece always reminds me of? I used to, once again, it's back to cinema. And I used to go and see um, the Children's Film Foundation films on a Saturday yeah. night. And it would be some kids running around Norfolk. And but this piece of music always reminds me, and every time I see this, I'm reminded of this piece of music, is poplar trees waving. <laughs> but how did you know that that's what the music was? Or, or does this just remind you of those films? Um, no, it reminded that, that was one of the things. I, when I started getting the records from Lewisham Library, I started, I think mm. Vaughan Williams was, the, you know, my starting route. Yeah, I mean, that, I, uh, the variations on a theme by Thomas Tallis, I listened to a huge amount in my, in my teenage years. It's, uh, it, it's music that will fit almost any occasion. <laughs> it is, yeah, and I still do. I think if I had to say who's my favourite, Composer is probably Vaughan Williams. Sounds a bit corny, but I, I don't care. Well, we were talking before about music that we've perhaps heard too many times, and and Paul was adamant on when he was on here. Paul Whitehouse, my first guest, that we would not have the lark ascending. Uh, yeah, it, it is an amazing piece of music, but he's just heard it too many times. And well, yeah, and I did, played at my wedding. And, uh, yes, and why not? So, but it's really nice to hear another piece by. Um, yeah. Vaughan Williams and your final track tonight which is sadly our final track of the show final track of the series is another piece of music which I will warrant as they say in old-fashioned costume dramas I'll warrant sir that um you probably heard this first in a film it is uh Mahler's uh, symphony number no. five the fourth movement the adagietto which I certainly first heard in um, Death in Venice. Is yeah. that where you first heard it? Yeah, it would have been there with, with him sitting on the, the the beach in his deck chair with the with his dye running down his face. Yes, Look. I mean, you know, it was one of those films that 
in our in our day everybody knew about everybody went to see it yeah. it's perhaps not as well known these days for for anyone who doesn't know it's a great film by Visconti Italian director set in Venice where uh, Dirk Bogart is this uh aging guy who is dying of is it consumption some disease yeah. or other and he falls in love he gets his obsession with this beautiful teenage boy and there's this amazing scene, as Jim was just describing, with him sort of on the beach, the Lido in Venice. He has he's sort of painted his hair black to try and make himself look young and yeah. handsome still, and it's melting in the heat. And I was I was reminded of it actually recently, and I'm surprised nobody has put the piece of footage to to the Marla of Rudy Giuliani doing that address. Uh, on behalf of Trump, where his hair dye was starting to melt and run down his face, it, it would go. It would go very well with the Marla. Yeah, or this, for instance. Do you know why um, um, Alvin Stardust wore the black gloves and the sideburns? Because his hair dye. It's of a hair dye incident. He, he <laughs> his, his manager said he was blonde. He said, "Why don't you dye your hair black and and be a bit meaner?" So yeah. he dyed his hair. He had hair dye all over his hands. So he put black gloves on. It was dripping down the side of his face. So he put sideburns <laughs> on, and that was it. And that's a look was born. <laughs> I mean, was all that an influence on you know? Because because Vic Reeves, the character you played, because you are yeah. not Vic Reeves, you are Jim Moyer had the jet black hair. Was that inspired by Alvin Stardust or Dirk Bogard? I think I just, I don't know. What was it? It was probably a bit gothy, a bit um, whatever was going around at the time, but black sideburns and quiff, black quiff. Yeah. Well, it so worked very well with the white suit. Well, Jim, Vic, it's been fantastic talking to you. Uh, we used to do a lot of filming together. I worked on some of the shows you made and you would always be trying to get in bits of uh, odd bits of music and classical music. Uh, and I remember you saying once you thought this was the saddest piece of music ever written and that it would work perfectly yeah. over the sad scene that you were doing. Oh, of course, yes, it did. Well, yes, on the, um, you know, what was it? Bang, bang, it's Reeves and Mortimer. And we'd get a guest on and interview them. And at the end, um, just leave and put on the, the this, put on the mala. Put the mala on and just leave them sitting there and and look and film them. Looking. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same tonight. Then I'm gonna leave you sitting here as we listen to the fourth movement from Mahler's Symphony Number no. Five. And uh, Jim, it's been fantastic catching up with you. I haven't had a chat with you for so long, and uh, it's been great having you as my guest. And thank you for the music. Thank you very much we'll get together as soon as possible as soon as we are able to do it properly yes The London Philharmonic Orchestra there under Jap van Zweden with part of the Adagietto from Mahler's Symphony No. 5. That's available to buy at lpo.org.uk along with another extract we heard earlier in the podcast, the LPO's recording of Nimrod from Elgar's Enigma Variations, which was conducted by Bernard Heitink. 
Elsewhere in this episode of Charlie Higson and Friends, there was a clip of Shostakovich's Symphony No. 8 performed by the London Symphony Orchestra with Jean-Andrea Nozeda, available on the London Symphony Orchestra's own label, LSO Live. We also heard an extract of Vaughan Williams' Norfolk Rhapsody No. 1, performed by the Halle Orchestra and Sir Mark Elder, taken from an album called English Landscapes, which is available at halle.co.uk. The Charlie Higson and Friends podcasts were originally broadcast as a series on Scala Radio in April 2021. Scala Radio is a classical music and entertainment station home to Simon Mayo, Mark Kermode, Angelica Bell, Penny Smith, Alexis French and me, Anne Frankenstein. Get involved. We broadcast across the UK on DAB Digital Radio, Smart Speaker, Sky TV Channel 0216, the free Scala Radio app and online at scalaradio.co.uk. Scala Radio.